On this episode of the 2X e-commerce podcast show, we're going to be talking about rapidly growing direct-to-consumer e-commerce brands using paid social media. Do stay tuned. Well, well, welcome to 2X e-commerce, the e-commerce marketing growth podcast where you ask questions and I, Kine, answers them. Also here from proven marketing growth experts who are number one or number two in specialist areas of online retail marketing. So if you work in or own an online retail business, listen in, get involved, join me, and let's put some fuel to skyrocket your e-commerce growth. So the inbound marketing strategies have you beat Amazon. Natural search and our search engine position is critical to the customer flow through the website. I personally would not have an account process interrupt checkout flow at all. My favorite customer lifetime value calculation is an easy one. It's your average order value times that purchase frequency times uh, your customer lifespan. I'm Kune Campbell. Let's get rolling. This episode is brought to you by Clavio. It is a game-changing email automation tool specifically built for scaling e-commerce businesses. I'm not just saying it. I use Clavio in my e-commerce store and in stores I advise for. Household names in the e-commerce space such as Brooklyn Inn, Bonobos, and Chobis use Clavio. Here's why. Clavio has one of the most impressive feature sets in the e-commerce email personalization space at the moment. Besides the one-click setup, Clavio's Pixel tracks visitor behavior to help you set up highly effective custom email funnels. Clavio also offers pre-built autoresponders for cart abandonment, upsells, and win-back campaigns. Clavio's most game-changing feature is its Facebook audiences integration, which helps your email list to sync up with your Facebook ad campaigns. So as you continue to scale up your store, Clavio will help automate a lot more sales. Try Clavio today on Clavio.com, spelt K-L-A-V-I-Y-O.com. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the 2X e-commerce podcast show. I'm your host, Kune Campbell, and this is the e-commerce podcast dedicated to rapid growth in online retail. And our sweet spot really is mid-tier retail. Um, we're not necessarily fully focused on um, startup e-commerce, and neither are we focused at enterprise e-commerce. We're somewhere right in the middle. And if you're obsessed or you're looking and you're gunning to... <clears throat> 2x 3x or even 10x metrics such as conversions average order value repeat customers traffic and ultimately sales you're in the right place i handpick the guests that come on this show to share their experience and expertise my criteria is based on just one thing can can they deliver insights to help you guys grow and if they can i try and um you know bring them to to the show and today's episode is super exciting um I have the founder of a largely social media, paid social media agency. They focus very much on Facebook, you know, um, on Facebook advertising, and they've helped brands such as HelloFresh, Movement Watches, which is MVMT Watches. You must have come across MVMT Watches on Instagram. If, if you have an Instagram account, they've helped Casper. 
and um, a plethora and loads of other brands. I believe um, they even have key hires from Groupon, Grubhub, um, and and they focus specifically on um, on, on direct to consumer e commerce. You know, um, you know businesses, and they've helped them rapidly. You know, grow. You know, over over time. Um, my guest, whose name is Steve Dinelli, um, founded his agency three years ago and has helped six companies exceed $60 million in revenue in less than one year. Um, he's got a super, um, you know, um, specialist team of about 15. And, you know, their, their focus really is, is growth through paid, paid, scalable paid media, you know, social media. Um, so, yeah, um, I am super excited. There are lots and lots of you know um, of of points you're gonna learn. You know from from this episode, um, you're gonna learn a lot about what you need to be doing in social media today and why um, social media is more of a um, is, is more of a of a of a um, of a, of a push, you know, network where you're pushing content, pushing your offers to, um, to, to, to potential customers. And, you know, search is more of a pool where they're looking for brands like you. So it's, it's really interesting. And, um, I'm going to let you enjoy the show. Welcome to the show, Steve. Hey, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Fantastic. Um, could you take a minute or less to, 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 to introduce yourself, please? Sure. My name is Steve Dinelli. I'm founder of a company called Blackbird Garage, which is a customer acquisition agency that specializes in direct-to-consumer brands. I love that. You, you specialize in direct-to-consumer brands only. That's our sweet spot for sure. Fantastic. When were you founded? Uh, we were founded in February of 2015. Okay, February of 2015. So um, you've been around for about three years, just over three years. Yep. Um, just passed our three-year anniversary. Fantastic. Congratulations. Um, who was your first customer? Uh, my first real customer is a brand called Movement Watches. Okay. Um, MVMT. MVMT, correct. Okay. And where were they and where were you at the moment and how did you guys, you know, start working together? Sure. So kind of an interesting story. Um, I was previously working at another tech company mm-hmm. and was running my own paid search and social for it. And started kind of consulting on the side a little bit on paid social. Some other people in the Chicago tech community started asking for help. Mm. And I was posting on Reddit about some of the kind of tricks and stuff I was doing with Facebook at the time and got connected with um, the founder of Movement, MVMT. And we started talking and I started consulting on the side for them. And very quickly, that side consulting became a lot bigger than my tech company was mm. and decided to go full-time into building an agency. Well, well, uh, very, very interesting. And um, where were they at the moment? They were founded up when? In 2015 or 2014? I believe they were founded in 2014. Okay. They did um, a crowdfunding campaign mm-hmm. and had just recently launched um, their actual website after finishing their crowdfunding. Okay. And um, where are they based? Are they also a Chicago-based um, you know, company or... Um no, they're in um, LA. Okay, Canada. well, so you're, you're just you know I'm working um, with them. Okay, and then um, what other brands have, have has, has Blackbird Garage worked with? Yeah, so we've worked with... Um, Casper Mattresses, Home Chef, the meal delivery service, HelloFresh, the meal delivery oh, wow. service. 
Third Love, um, which is um, online lingerie. Hmm. Um, a lot of the emerging kind of leaders in direct to consumer we've crossed paths with over the last three years. Well, you've carved yourself a, a nice niche, you know, um, in, in, in that, in, in this space and in, in the DTC space. And we've talked a lot about DTC space and on the, on the show as to why, if you're building an e-commerce, you know, business today, it really should be, you know, DTC rather than selling other people's brands. But, you know, that would be for another conversation, to be honest. Okay. So, um, just, Given that you're a specialist in, in, in direct-to-consumer, you know, um, in direct-to-consumer space, what recurring themes do you see in successful direct-to-consumer brands? Yeah, so the recurring themes that we see across, because for us, it's um, we're, we're not a giant agency. We're about 15 people. We're mm-hmm. trying to be a small agency that does really good work for a small client base. Mm-hmm. So for us, picking the right clients to work with is just as important Mm-hmm. So the similar themes that we see across the brands that um, are really successful are typically um, we work with a lot of fashion brands because mm-hmm. there's a high perceived value, but typically a low cost to produce, which creates a lot of margin mm-hmm. and not necessarily margin as a percentage, but margin in dollars. Mm-hmm. So a product that's $10 and has a you know $4 cost of goods sold, the margin's really good. But we'd much rather work with a company that has, you know, a $40 cost of goods sold and a $100 product because there's more dollars of margin to play with to acquire a customer in there. Does that make sense? Gotcha. And, you know, at the lower end of the scale, it starts to become very commoditized and very easy to replicate, you know, kind of like the Amazon type startups are popping up, you know, here and there. Yeah, there's a lot more commodity prices at lower cost, Mm -hmm. but with how competitive that online customer acquisition is, you need to have a lot of dollars available to acquire a customer. I see what Uh, you mean. Mm -hmm. And then some of the other trends that we see that we really like is we typically like um, smaller products because they tend to be a little easier to merchandise Mm -hmm. and it also allows them to be sold international. Mm -hmm. So most of the brands we work with sell all over the world. Um, and it, by having a smaller product, it makes it easier to ship to them um, and allows us to launch more countries sooner. Okay. So being able to go international very quickly is critical to growing fast as a D2C brand. To, to grow fast. I, I can't recall the, the name of an Australian sunglasses brand. They actually manufacture in, in Australia, but they were able to grow um, to, to eight figures just off the back of the fact that, you know, um, they, they, they ship internationally. They're, they're another direct-to-consumer brand, so you're spot on. Are there any other, you know, recurring themes or um, things that get you excited um, when, um, you know, clients work at your door saying they, they, they may be interested in working with, um, with, with, your, with your agency? Yeah, I mean, as long as they have a great product with good enough margins, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes that's enough. But really, we also look for really strong management teams because if you're going to grow from one to 30 million in a year, one to 50 million in that range, you need to have a really strong management team that's going to be able to manage the cash flow, manage growing the team, and handle all the operations that come with that much growth. So a lot of the times when we're talking to clients and determining if it's a good fit or not, they'll tell us that we're vetting them a lot harder than maybe their venture capitalists were or <laughs> the firm would. And the reason I say that is, you know, a VC fund has an amount of capital that they need to deploy over a set period. Mm -hmm. While we have limited resources that we can only put towards, 
you know, a few really good accounts. Mm-hmm. So being able to really pick the winners and not have a one out of 10 hit rate, but maybe a nine out of 10 hit rate is how we've been successful to date. And, and, and their success is yours, you know, so it's a way you have to be really selective from, from the get-go. Absolutely. I think a lot of agencies, they fall off for two reasons. One, they offer too wide of a range of services. Mm-hmm. So they start saying, yeah, we'll do your Facebook ads, we'll do your website, we'll do your email, we'll just be the one-stop shop for you. But mm-hmm. being specialized is is how you get really good at, at something. Mm-hmm. And spread too thin is too hard. Or what they'll do is they'll take on too many clients mm. where they can't service all of them effectively. Mm. So keeping a smaller client base that mm. are higher quality clients is really critical to being a good agency, in my opinion. It makes sense. Makes sense. And, and you're, you know, you, you, you strengthen yourself, you know, the more you, you specialize and go, go, go deeper. You talked about strong management teams in, in these companies, you know, these, these new breed of direct consumer companies. What does a strong management team look like? I mean, when they have, I believe the MVT, the movement, you know, watches guys, the, the, you know, the two 19 year olds, or they were under 20 at the time when they founded their company. Um, and, um, for from, from what I understand, um, they, they dropped out of, you know, college. And um, so the first time you, you worked with them, you know, the, the first year you worked with them, I'm, I'm not sure how strong their management team was, but how, how would you define a strong management team? Yeah, so they, they actually did have a strong management team early. When you talk to these guys, you can tell they actually know what they're doing. They're mm-hmm. serious and they're working really hard. They're putting in the hours. Um, as we've grown, um, obviously the, the first kind of client we had, we weren't vetting as hard. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we didn't really know. But now when we're looking, um, you know, some of our clients are coming out of business school, which doesn't necessarily mean that they're qualified to, you know, be successful, but it helps because it gives them a little bit of a, a base of knowledge, which is good. Um, it really just comes down to having a strategic business conversation with them mm. and recognizing, are they flexible? Are they willing to pivot if they need to? Are they willing to test on different price points and things like that? I think that a lot of the value that we provide, um, and, and a lot of our clients will tell you, it's probably about 20, 30% actually managing ad campaigns and probably about 70, 80% in consulting and yeah. trying provide incremental advice and guidance from our experience with other brands Mm. and a company and a management team being flexible and willing to adapt and say, Hey, you know, this, this outside source that, you know, has done this a few times, they're saying, maybe we should try this and being open to testing is, is really critical. Uh, absolutely, I, I I agree with you. So, do you have a consultant on board, or um, do you just take your experience, your 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 hard earned experience, um, to to offer the consultant and more or less, you know, business mentoring? If if you ask me, yeah. So um, that co- that kind of leads into another point is about our team. Our team's really strong, and by having a small team, we can hire really talented people mm-hmm. where, you know, a lot of agencies, you get somebody who's a couple of years out of school, um, you know, maybe managed some ads before, but our client facing team at Blackbird, we have one of the first marketing hires at Groupon who IPO'd with them, which is an invaluable resource because that company scaled to tens of thousands of employees gone global. Um, being able to provide that insights really important. Another person, um, he was the one of the first five hires at Grubhub, another 
um, mm-hmm. public e-commerce company and remained an executive with them for seven years. Mm-hmm. So our experience um, goes back, you know, five, 10 years into e-commerce, which is kind of where getting to where it kind of started and having a team that's been able to scale that efficiently is uh, and, and knowledgeably really allows them to provide insight to our clients. It makes sense. And then um, do you have to go to, do, do, when you work with clients like Movement Watches, do you have to go to LA or do, what, what, do, do you need to go to their locations or do you just manage everything remotely? So we um, really only have clients on the coast. Most of our business is in New York or okay. um, right. LA, San Diego, San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And most of the time we're just in Chicago. We're having meetings or having calls and things like that. Mm-hmm. But when we do go and visit, it's typically, um, you know, more get to know each other on a personal level. Like, you know, we kind of have some more stories of working together that, okay. that we like to talk through. And more building that personal relationship because yeah. everything that we're doing can be done online. Right. So, so, it's, so it's more or less a catch up. You, you, you would not, you know, close clients, you know, face to face. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, everything's typically done online, but it doesn't mean that we're not out visiting and meeting and having those kind of bigger strategic conversations. We've had clients in Europe that I've gone and visited just because it made sense to have that face-to-face time that you just can't get, whether it's in a Skype call or a hangout or whatever your method of communication is. Correct, correct, correct. Okay, so um, from from my initial discussion, you said you guys specialize in Facebook and Pinterest. Facebook, Instagram, and, and Pinterest, is, is that correct? Yeah, um, and then we do a little bit of AdWords as well. AdWords, is that PLA or do you do you know um, search AdWords or do you do retargeting? Do you do the, the whole... The, the, the whole mix of AdWords or um, do you do specific e-commerce related, um, do, you, do you work on specific e-commerce related um, um, products within AdWords or sub products so, actually? Yeah. So everything that falls under the AdWords umbrella, we're open to doing. Typically that's a small part of the marketing mix for our clients okay. just because it's become so competitive or they don't have the brand recognition just becoming established mm-hmm. that there isn't that brand search intent yet. Okay. 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 Um, all right. Let's look. Can I ask a question with regards to how Facebook, Google, and Pinterest compare, um, in the current e-commerce landscape for people who are looking to scale or brands looking to scale? Yeah, absolutely. So let's think about Facebook and Instagram as a single channel. There's different placements you can buy within them, but really we can think about that as one. And then Pinterest is also kind of over on that side as well. Um, AdWords, we can talk about search, is on the other side of the spectrum. So we have push networks and pull networks. Facebook and Pinterest are pushing content out to people. Mm -hmm. And you can think about that like a billboard of, I'm going to buy a billboard in this geography with these cars driving by because we believe this many people see it and it's typically this neighborhood is these demographics. Mm -hmm. Facebook's like that on steroids. Pinterest is getting better about it. Um, and then on the search side of things, it's more like the yellow pages. People have intent for something. They're looking for it. They're flipping through the yellow pages, trying to find it and are much more likely to buy quickly because it's pulling people in. Okay. You close, you, so it's a closed loop. People close their loop. So they, they, there's brand awareness. F- Facebook, Facebook and Facebook, Instagram and Pinterest stimulate brand awareness. And then AdWords just, um, you know, closes a loop more or less sometimes or most times. 
Yeah. So something that we see is when we push harder on Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest, all of a sudden you see search intent go up for both the brand and non-brand terms. So being able to recognize that correlation of, hey, not only are we getting direct response purchases from these push networks like Facebook and Pinterest, Mm -hmm. we're also stimulating the brand awareness where we're getting more people searching for the brand down the road on the back door. Absolutely. And I I think I've always said this, I said this in a previous episode where, you know, um, you measure the health of your business with via brand name search. Um, if there's one core marketing metric to, to, to measure, it's just brand name search. Um, if you start your business as zero brand name search, and if you scale it to 10 million, you know, there's so much, you know, brand name search, you know, that the, it'd be so wide, you know, in terms of like the volume you're getting for brand name search. Okay. Right. Let's talk about Facebook. Um, I don't want to talk too much about Pinterest. Um, or we could, you know, briefly talk, um, about Pinterest in the next five minutes. Um, what are the best practices you're seeing with, with Pinterest, you know, at the moment and what niches, um, is Pinterest delivering, you know, um, results? Sure. So Pinterest often goes underutilized um, just because people think it's small and they're not seeing um, the results that they see on Facebook. Mm -hmm. But Pinterest can be highly effective for um, categories like gifting, um, obviously products targeting women. um, And also related to gifting, obviously, is products targeting men because it's it's often um, the woman in the house has the purchasing power and is buying things for everybody. Mm -hmm. So being able to get on there and capitalize on that is really important. Um, Some of the best practices include starting early on Pinterest. So Pinterest isn't necessarily a social network Mm -hmm. like Facebook is. Pinterest is an activity that people do. Mm -hmm. So they're obviously planning early. So, you know, a holiday is coming up, say like, for example, Thanksgiving, a month before Pinterest users are pinning things to boards related to what they want to do for their Thanksgiving dinner. Mm. So you need to start much earlier on Pinterest than you would on any of the other channels. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. And, um, just, what about retargeting? Do you, do you, do, do you guys help put together retargeted, you know, um, ad campaigns and, um, what does it look like if you do? Sure. So retargeting is, is absolutely critical. Um, we take, um, you know, very simply put a full funnel approach where when I think about the marketing funnel, I start at the bottom. So you have people who are obviously very high intent, maybe have added to cart, viewed a product recently that you need to push over the edge to buy. So being able to close the deal with them through retargeting is absolutely critical because you can't start pushing new people into that sales funnel at the top if you're not able to effectively close them at the bottom. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. And um, do, you, do you use any platforms, you know, for, for retargeting, AdRoll, Criteo, or um, do, do you use a native, um, um, you know, um, retargeting um, options on, on each, um, for each um, advertising platform on Facebook, Google, or even Pinterest? Yeah, everything we do is native through the platforms. Um, there's benefits for AdRoll and Criteo. I think if uh, maybe you're just getting started and you don't have the resources or the time to manage all of those channels, you can start with them and it's a quick way to get going. But mm-hmm. once you get to scale, there tends to be a cost benefit and um, being able to pull all the levers on your own 
allows you to scale more and, and more quickly because who's going to care more about your business than yourself? Than yourself, exactly, exactly. Okay, all right. Um, now that we've talked about Pinterest and um, a bit of Google and um, and also um, retargeting, I think um, the the meat of this episode really is is Facebook. Um, Facebook is a big elephant in the, in the room, to to be honest. Um, and um, big or 800 pound gorilla really in the social media space. Um, I think they account for 75 to 80% of all social media, you know, um, traffic, um, across the board. And, um, you know, we, we've heard about, you know, this issue with Cambridge Analytica and, you know, um, the, the whole fiasco with, with, um, with data, we use the data, um, with that, um, there's also been, um, you know, um, pretty much, um, CPC or CPM, which for, for our listeners, you do cost per click or, um, you know, cost per impression, cost per thousand impression, um, inflation on Facebook. What do you think about um, the current states of Facebook advertising and um, where do you think it's headed? Sure. So I think those are, are two almost independent questions mm-hmm. because one, Facebook advertising, the cost is going up um, independent of the Cambridge Analytica issues. Um, and it always will until it, it normalizes. And as more and more advertisers are seeing the value in Facebook, it's going to make the auction, which is how Facebook determines the cost to advertise on it and serve impressions, is going to be going up. So um, right now we've continued to see increases and during different periods like Q4 and holiday time, we see even more. But the really strong advertisers who have really good creative, really good um, ad management, take it seriously, have always been able to kind of persevere through that and be able to achieve their their marketing results, whether it's, you know, return on ad spend, cost per acquisition or different awareness metrics. Hmm. Okay. So, so you, you, so it boils down to strong creatives. Is, is that- strong creative is important, but matching it up with the right targeting is, okay. is really okay. a big part of it because you can have the best creative in the world, but if you're showing it to the wrong people, they're not going to respond. Just like if you're showing your ad to the right people mm-hmm. and you don't have the right creative, they're not going to respond to it either. What about like bidding? You know, um, people talk about like bid to budget ratios. Um, how does that come to play um, with, you know, if you don't bid, it's an auction, you know, uh, at the end of the day, um, where do you, in the face of competition, especially with, um, you know, um, Fortune 500 companies or FTSE, you know, um, 300 companies or 250 companies, um, how do you advertise? How do you, how, what strategies would you recommend? Um, what bidding strategies would you recommend to, to um, advertisers? Yeah, so that's, that's a big question. And it really depends on what your objectives are. Mm. If your goal is to drive a customer acquisition at a set cost, mm-hmm. you know, there's some pretty easy things you can do, like setting a manual bid at that cost and allowing Facebook to optimize for it. But at a certain point, you're going to want more scale and you're going to have to figure out, is there a time where it's more effective for me to be bidding for clicks than purchases? Mm-hmm. Is there going to be a time where it's more effective for me to bid for lower cost add to carts than it is to bid for impressions? And kind of looking at the market landscape of what's going on in the auction, what your goals are, whether it's efficiency or scale, because those two things always have an inverse relationship. Mm-hmm. You can always get more scale at greater cost, and you can always be more efficient at the sacrifice of scale. 
Um, there's no set way of doing it. it. It just takes a lot of learning and testing and, and I think constant pulling of the levers to, to figure it out. Our team here optimizes Facebook seven days a week, um, just about 24 hours a day. And, and during the critical periods where it's ultra competitive, like Black Friday through Cyber Monday and, and the weeks kind of proceeding and following, we're staffing 24 hours a day just to make sure that we're, we're being competitive. Well, well, and then that it's, it's all human touch. Is, is that right? Yeah, there's a lot of tools out there, um, different ad tech platforms, things that say they can automate this for you. But um, I haven't seen one yet that's been able to beat what we've been able to do with human touch and being able to recognize what's going on in the business, yeah. what's going on in the marketplace. And it isn't just set rules that that run because it's it's never that simple. If it was, everybody would be doing it. Exactly. Sometimes you need to switch up creatives, you know, what you do, you know, um, I don't know any tools that would help you do that. So are there any tools? There's a, there's no shortage of, of changes that can kind of be made. And sometimes, you know, you go into the holiday season with a plan and everybody's on board for it and you have a plan B, but you need to call an audible based on the current market conditions. Mm, makes sense. Right. Um, so with, with, with Facebook advertising, um, you talked about, you know, prices normalizing. Where do you think, you know, on a scale of where to, one to 10, with 10, you know, being the normalization spot, where do you think we are um, price-wise? Um, I think we're early. I would say if, uh, you know, 10 is normalized, we're probably at a five or six. Really? I still think over time costs could potentially double um, because more and more advertisers are recognizing the power of, of Facebook where, you know, you and I were in the weeds of it every day. We feel like everybody knows about it, mm -hmm. but I still go out and I talk to very big brands that are, are saying, oh, like we're, we're just going to get into Facebook or we're just going to get into social mm. and that's going to have a big impact on the overall cost. Mm. Mm. Um, what, where would you rather spend $10 million you know, um, Super Bowl or Facebook over three months? Um, I mean, I would much rather spend $10 million on, well, I guess the question is, is what's my objective? Is my objective to, you know, sell a bunch of products at a cost? Is it to create a bunch of awareness? Because there, there is a place for the Super Bowl advertising at high cost. But I think for online retailers, it would very directly be spent um, on Facebook more effectively <laughs> over, over a period of time. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. Um, let's talk about, um, you know, um, compliance issues. Um, the, well, the, the issue, the, the Cambridge Analytica issue, um, with Facebook and, um, just consumer data privacy. What, what's your take in the, in the whole situation so far? So, um, you know, it's, it's a difficult situation. There's a lot of opinions going around. My opinion is I can sympathize with Facebook, even though they're a big, massive, you know, hundreds of billions of dollar company. Um, they've also grown a lot faster than any company in history ever has. And being able to recognize what the negative implications are of what they're doing when you're growing that fast, it's, it's very hard. And recognizing that people are, you know, maybe going to take what you're providing and use it negatively 
Um, you know, it, it might not be top of mind. So I can sympathize how that can happen, especially when, you know, you hear it's 50 million people, but that still only represents less than 5% of their user base. So mm-hmm. it might have, you know, appeared as, as a blip on the radar for them because it's less than 5%, but it's still 50 million people. I think that what it comes down to is their kind of crisis management of the situation. I read several articles that said, you know, Mark Zuckerberg and Sheryl Sandberg, they didn't issue any responses for several days. They weren't posting on social media. And I think that just comes from, you know, the maturity level as the business as a whole, not that they're immature, but their business is immature. They're only, you know, I don't know, 10 years old now or something like that. Mm -hmm. And knowing how to manage a crisis effectively before the media kind of takes it and runs with it is just a lesson that they're learning right now and they'll handle it more effectively next time. Do you think it's overblown um, given the fact that Facebook has taken a lot of uh, market share from, from media platforms? I think so. I mean, lots of companies are pulling data for people. I Mm -hmm. wouldn't be surprised if like Comcast, Verizon in the U S are pulling more data than Facebook on people. And Nobody really realizes it. I think the media is taking it as an opportunity to, you know, incite a little fear in people and drive people back to traditional media. Yeah, it's not going to happen, though. It's not. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I work with Facebook adverts, you know, myself. And um, for the past few weeks, um, the performance of Facebook adverts, Facebook campaigns in general, and ad sets in general, have felt like um, I was giving this analogy with with um, with some friends in a, in a Facebook group, with, and um, it's felt like um, I'm in a construction site, right? Say we're we're in an office, and, and basically there there are lots of works going on in the office, construction wise, and we're having to to just allow the noise, the inconvenience of the, you know, um, of the construction, you know, go on pending when, you know, the, the building is finished. Right. Um, and by that, I mean, um, it's been very clunky. The results have been very unreliable, um, not across the board, but, um, in a significant number of accounts. Um, so, is that what you're seeing there? And, you know, a lot of people are attributing this to the fact that they're cleaning up their acts and they're trying to self-regulate and they're trying to, you know, clean up and, you know, um, just come across as, um, you know, as a company that cares for, for not just the advertisers, but also users, you know, and, um, you know, and really, you know, do, do the right thing. Um, what's your take on that? Um, are you, are you seeing fluctuations in, in the auctions, especially and, you know, and deliverables and, um, from Facebook? Yeah. So the last couple of weeks, I mean, there's been some volatility is what I'll call it. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that might mean inconsistent performance and stuff like that. Um, we've still seen, you know, most of our clients still be able to achieve goals. Um, it's not like the world's ending or anything like that. It's just been a little more volatile. Mm-hmm. Um, what I always go back to is Facebook has, since their inception, been so unbelievably good at managing their stock price and being able to hit their quarterly earnings and not only hit them, but exceed them. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that this quarter will be any different. And for that to happen, advertisers need to get their results. 
because if advertisers aren't getting their results, they're going to pull out. And I don't think Facebook's going to let that happen. I think the best way that they overcome this um, kind of issue is by exceeding their earnings projections mm-hmm. and getting the market back on their side. Yeah, I, I can agree, you know, more, you know, um, with you. It's, that, that is the situation that they really need to, uh, I guess the, the other question or the other, you know, the, the other rhetoric question to ask is, um, you know, what portion of their client base delivers, you know, um, the most revenue and if they could appease that, you know, chunk of advertisers first, you know, um, they could eventually scale down to, to, um, you know, smaller advertisers on their platform. Okay. Okie dokie. Um, with, so where do you see Facebook and, you know, e-commerce, you know, um, you know, going forward in the next, um, five to 10 years? I mean, it's hard to look that far out. Um, you know, e-commerce, I think direct to consumer is, mm-hmm. it's going to be bigger, but at the same time, it's going to be harder for brands to do. I think the last couple of years it's, it's been, there's been a lot of opportunity for brands to take advantage with the efficiencies on some of these advertising platforms. Mm -hmm. And as it's gotten harder and more competitive, it means that it's more difficult for these brands to launch and take off and and be successful early. Um, So I still think that there's going to be more brands, more e-commerce brands, and it's going to be more kind of lateral than it's been historically. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, the ability to start up and grow quickly is going to become much harder. You think so? Okay. All right. Um, and, um, so the, you know, over the years, there's been a lot of transition from, you know, successfully funded Indiegogo or Kickstarter campaigns, um, that, um, then scale further, um, you know, to eight, nine figure businesses, you know, um, yeah, eight, nine figure businesses. Uh, it, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what the landscape would, would look like. Okay, before I let you go, um, I have a you know, list of, um, you know, questions, standard questions I ask, um, you know, my, my guests. Um, they're, they're pretty much, um, you know, evergreen questions. Um, it's called a lightning round. They're going to, I'm going to ask you five questions. And if you could, you know, answer them in a single sentence, you know, I'll be, I'll be glad. That'll be great. That'll be great. You good to go? Yeah, let's yeah. do it. All right. Fantastic. How do you hire people? Slowly. All right. Okay. And then you fire fast, <laughs> I presume. Okay. What's been, what are the three indispensable tools um, you've used for, for, for managing um, your, your, your agency, Blackbird um, um, Garage? Google Sheets, email, and Slack. Slack. Okay. All right. What's been your best mistake to date? By that time, I'm going to set back to us giving you the biggest feedback. We've probably taken some of the wrong clients and learned who not to take. Fantastic. Okay. What's one piece of advice can you give to retailers keen on 10x in their, their, their sales, their, their growth um, in the next 12 months? Increase your average order value or your lifetime value so you can spend more to acquire a customer. Fantastic. If you could choose a single book or resource that's made the highest impact on how you view building a business and growth, which would it be? Mm. I really liked a book um, called The Hard Things About Hard Things. Okay. Um, it's written by a VC about the kind of ups and downs of running and scaling a company. Okay, okay. I haven't heard of um, heard things. I would um, definitely link up to it and, um, you know, check it out. All right. Um, and finally, how can people, you know, get in touch with you? 
Yeah. Um, our website is blackbirdgarage.com. Um, it's pretty simple. There's a contact form on there. Um, we're always happy to talk to people and, you know, even if it's not a good fit, um, we give a lot of advice and, and sometimes those companies take the advice and come back months or years later and it becomes a good fit to work together. Yeah. So we're always happy to give some good advice. Brilliant. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Steve. It's been a pleasure having you and it's really, really interesting, you know, um, getting your insights and, um, you know, from scaling through paid social, you know, and, and as, as well as, you know, um, Google, but yeah, thank you so much for, for making it to the show. Great. Thank you. Have a great rest of your day. Cheers. Thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. To download the show notes and read the full transcript and find previous episodes on the show, head over to 2xecommerce.com forward slash podcast. Also be sure to follow me on Twitter. My um, handle is at Kunati Campbell. Just Google me, Kunate Campbell. New episodes of the 2x e-commerce podcast come out every Wednesday. If you haven't already, please leave us a review, write us a review or subscribe to the show on itunes or wherever you get your podcast if you like this particular episode be sure to share it with friends on facebook twitter or linkedin 2x e-commerce is produced by me kone campbell with the help of bowen market thank you all for listening and catch you on the next show cheers so that was a wrap on this week's episode of 2x e-commerce Remember, you can catch me every week and also send your questions and comments on Twitter using the hashtag 2XEcommerce. Keep yourself in the loop by subscribing to this podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. It only takes a few seconds and it means you'll get the most up-to-date episodes to help you grow your online store. Do have a good one till I catch you on the next show. Bye-bye.